Superman. Oh, I suspect there's going to be a lot of Superman music today behind the glass, Jerry. Why don't we... Well, first of all, hi, Greg. Good morning, Brett. Um, Happy birthday, Superman. Yes. Behind the glass, Jerry, can you explain what's going on here? Uh, today is Superman's 80th birthday and the release of Action Comics number 1000. It's a big deal. It's huge. And the, the red trunks are coming back. Yes. So what's the history Whoa, with what that? Do you mean? What do you mean? They were gone? Jerry? Yeah. Uh, when uh, DC did the whole uh, New 52 reboot a few years ago, they took away Superman's red trunks. And I don't know if you noticed. Did you see uh, the movie Man of Steel? No. Uh, or Batman versus Superman? No. I hope, well, good. You did. I'm glad you didn't see that. I, well, what did you hey. think of that? <laughs> you liked it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the uh, director's cut of Batman versus Superman was really good, and Man that. of Steel was a, an amazing movie. Yeah, I like I like Man of Steel. But uh, yeah, there were, so the red trunks were gone in those. Now, what uh, the, was there like a conventional thought as to why they got rid of the red trunks? Uh, because originally it was meant to be uh, uh, modeled after the old uh, strongmen from the circus back in the turn of the century. Makes okay. sense. Um, and they just thought that it was kind of an outdated look for, you know, they said, you know, let's get rid of these streamlined Superman a bit, make, you know, bring him into the next century. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there was a lot of complaints about it. Yeah, I kind of liked the new look, but it, it seeing the cover for Action Comics, seeing him in all of his glory with the red trunks, it does look pretty cool. So this is an exciting day. Are you going to go get the comic? Yeah, I actually called uh, one of the comic book stores yesterday and reserved a copy. Which okay, one? guy, go ahead. Mighty Comics. I don't need, I don't want to interrupt this conversation, but you guys know the Jets won last night, right? <laughs> <laughs> Their head 3-1 in the series. <laughs> Not to break up this, uh, you know, meeting of the minds here, but uh, most, They've of won us, before. most of us are pretty excited about the fact that the Jets are playing at home Friday night and could wrap up this uh, first round series against the Wild. <laughs> I'm teasing a little bit. Uh, we can't wait to celebrate Superman. I'm just looking for a clip. I'm just opening one of my folders here to find a clip that I think would uh, would kind of explain what was likely going through your mind just a moment ago. Just give me one second. I'm almost there. It's from a, a prominent film in the uh, the 80s. Nerds. 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 What is a nerd? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty close. <laughs> Sat back as patiently as I could for as long as I could. So, hey, uh, exciting times. Uh, Brett, you and I did not see one moment of the game. In fact, we were sort of watching it on our phone. Well, on my phone and watching things tick down, we were we were emceeing at the uh, Grace Hospital Foundation Gala Dinner last night. Thank you to them for having us. It was uh, quite the event last night. Uh, it was a little uh, difficult for many in attendance not to uh, sneak away and watch the game either on a TV or uh, hide your personal communication device under a tablecloth or something to watch the game. But most people were well behaved and uh, we celebrated all together as the time wound down and the Jets ended up with that 2 nothing victory. So exciting uh, times. The weather is going to be spectacular 
on Friday. Uh, who knows how many thousands of people might show up for the street party on Friday. And of course, uh, 15,000 plus inside the arena. It is going to be a spectacular evening for celebration should the Jets manage to close out the series on Friday. And I just want to point out, I'm not trying to be a downer, just Winnipeg Jets 1.0. This is one more hurdle for 2.0 to kind of scratch off the list. Uh, the Jets 1.0 had series leads of three games to one twice, and in both cases were not able to close them out, ended up losing three in a row to fall in seven games in 1990 against Edmonton, and I want to say 1993 against Vancouver, but it might have been... You you remember that. I I was going to say, was it the Canucks? It was the Canucks. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So last night when we were at uh, the Victoria Inn, uh, once again for the Grace Hospital uh, Foundation, the 2018 Grace Gala, uh, celebrating uh, cuisine and culture of Brazil. Very delicious, by the way. Thank you so much for that. That was uh, a real treat. But uh, you did have your phone out and you were watching, kind of, you, like it had a clock counting down and everything. So did you find that more nerve-wracking, not being able to see the action, but just kind of watching the clock and waiting for some number to change? Yes, because, you know, it's just time versus I don't know what zone the play is being played in. I was getting text message updates, you know, how are they looking, how are they playing, and all those reports from about four different people were adding up. So I was feeling pretty comfortable the Jets were doing uh, what they needed to do, but obviously uh, anything can happen the last minute when the other team pulls the goalie and they're six on five. Mark Shifley once again, both goals. One of our texters says Superman was wearing number 55 or number 37 yesterday. Go Jets, go Shifley, 55. Connor Hellebuck, 37. How did you used to watch? Because this is, you are always on your... Greg Mackling, is, uh, he is a Twitter machine. He's always on his phone. He's kind of like an information vortex. He's just sucking up all the information that's out there, and that includes the Jets. But before the internet, before you could have that instant access to the internet, and when you were not living in Winnipeg, how did you follow Jets games? On HLN on the ticker. Do you remember Headline News, the CNN? I think they're still around, uh, but they used to have a sports ticker that would update all the scores. And my brothers and I would get together sometimes on a Thursday, Friday, sometimes a Saturday evening. Did you guys all live in BC? Yeah. And we sit around the TV and we wait for the ticker to come around. Zero, zero. One nothing Winnipeg. Ah! <laughs> Ticker go around one one. Oh! and that's how we would literally watch the games because there was no way, right? No internet to listen to the radio broadcast from home. Uh, the Jets' very last home regular season game against L.A. Kings. My buddy Jared was there, and he had a cell phone, which was kind of a new thing. Yeah, and uh, I stood on a phone at work listening to all the pregame festivities wow. via uh, Jared's cell phone for about 11 minutes. <laughs> Just about got fired that night. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, technology has come a long way, but uh, still had to sort of watch uh, in old-fashioned mode last night, but it, w- it was a fun way to do it. Good cause. One person is dead after an engine on a Southwest Airlines passenger jet failed mid-flight. The incident sent shrapnel flying, shattering a window and causing a passenger to be partially sucked outside. 
Global Nationals' Ines de la Quatera reports. It seemed to come out of nowhere, a loud bang, the plane rattling, and oxygen masks dropping down. Then, a terrifying sight. So I hear this noise and everything shakes up, and I look outside and it's totally broken apart, folded back on itself. A window suddenly breaking into pieces, reportedly sucking in the woman who was seated next to it. Fellow passengers jumped into action, pulling her back and performing CPR. One of them reportedly used his body to block the window. It's the medic, the registered nurse, just true heroes. Flight 1380 was on its way from New York City to Dallas when its left engine failed. Part of its covering was ripped off, shrapnel flew into the side of the plane and into the window, causing the cabin to lose pressure. It felt like it was free falling, going all the way, going, going down. And we were probably like, like going down to like 10, 15 minutes. And of course, everyone's freaking out. Everybody's crying. Airplanes can continue to fly with just one engine. And in this case, the plane made an emergency landing in Philadelphia. Southwest 1380, I understand your emergency. Let me know when you want to go in. Yeah, we have a part of the aircraft missing, so we're going to need to slow down a bit. The female pilot is now being hailed as a hero for landing the plane safely. The flight crew did an incredible job. Uh, getting this aircraft here on the ground. A total of 143 passengers and five crew members were on board. It's still unclear what caused the engine to fail, but the National Transportation Safety Board wants to reassure the public engine failure is very rare. About three or four a year, and not all of those involve U.S. carriers. Rare or not, it's cold comfort to those aboard this flight. And all I could of course, think about was my family and my friends and you know, my girlfriend, like my brother, my sisters, my mom, that was, that was terrifying. Inez de la Guitera, Global News, Washington. Just frightening, horrifying. Uh, you know, you, you get on a plane and you think that everything's going to be okay. And then something like that happens, just uh, this freak accident. Uh, yeah, we just saw a video of uh, people, take you know, with their oxygen masks on, taking cell phone video. That would be, I, I, it would be hard to find a position where, a situation where you would feel more helpless than that high in the air in a tin can and uh, one of the windows blown out. Well, they said it right there in the report for as infrequent an event this is. Well, the one time that it happens to you and you're on the plane or, or even worse, you lose your life because of it, uh, it doesn't feel all that infrequent. And certainly people boarding planes today will be thinking about that incident as it happened uh, over the skies just outside of New York. It is, uh, yeah, something I think uh, if you're not human, if it doesn't pass your mind or go through your mind uh, at one point, if you've ever been on an airplane, something absolutely horrifying and and freakish happening just like that. Yeah, even turbulence. I remember um, I was flying, I think just it was on one of the smaller planes from Toronto to Windsor, Ontario. Mm. So it was like a 40-seater, I think. Uh, So it's still a a decent-sized aircraft, but there was some turbulence, and there was one point where where the the plane just descended a little bit, and it got you got that that feeling like you were just going over the edge of a roller coaster. And on a roller coaster, it's I like that kind of scary, but on an aircraft, uh, even though that it lasted for one second, I was terrified. Uh, So yeah, that's uh, this particular situation. 
hard to comprehend. Yeah, well, you fly into Cranbrook, British Columbia, go over the mountains and straight down and in. I only ever had to do that uh, pit stop once on my way to Kelowna. Once was enough for me. Celebrating Superman's 80th birthday. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Jeff Braun. News at the bottom of the hour with Jeff. I'm Greg. He's Brett. Sun coming up in the east. Oh, it's a nice, bright orange. I was driving down Chief Pegwis Trail yesterday about, oh, I guess about 10 to 3. Sun is shining. I've got the sunroof open. Music blaring. It's like winter never happened. It's a really good thing humans have short memories on some stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, it's been beautiful the last few days, and uh, the forecast is just spectacular. Looking into the weekend and uh, the uh, the possibility of golf, maybe this weekend, but looks like certainly next weekend. Oh, very tantalizing indeed. The Manitoba Moose play two playoff games this weekend, Saturday and Sunday downtown against the Grand Rapids Griffins, and of course the Jets face off against Minnesota. Game five of their. Central Division semi-final. The Jets leading that series three games to one. A lot of people wondering, Brett, why on earth are they not playing tomorrow night? Usually it's a kind of an alternate night situation. Well, Bell MTS Place has been uh, booked for some time. Well, let's just blame it on these two guys. <laughs> Commercial kind of caught my eye. Yeah. And I said, oh, yeah, that's right. Two cellos. They're here Thursday night. And you said, how they got their start was sort of fascinating. Yeah, they're, these are YouTube stars. They rose, well, first of all, they're uh, a Croatian cellist duo. And uh, they rose to fame in 2011 after this particular song you're hearing right now, the cover of Smooth Criminal became a hit on YouTube, got 3 million views in its first two weeks. They've since done covers like Thunderstruck and all kinds of uh, U2, Guns N' Roses, Nine Inch Nails, Sting, Coldplay. So this is sort of a new breed of international superstar, that as someone, a uh, group that came to be courtesy of YouTube. So yeah, they'll be here tomorrow night. This international sensation, and uh, just listening to this, watching their videos in particular, these guys are really intense. You can tell they're passionate, and when uh, when musicians bring that kind of passion to the performance, it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, it'll resonate, right? It goes right through the, the crowd. Uh, you mentioned uh, in the last half hour how I'm married to my phone. I admit it. Uh, and it's not a criticism, by no, the way. Uh, no, I understand. Uh, I'm just thirsty for knowing what's going on, and I noticed in my Facebook feed, I haven't quit Facebook yet. I'm really seriously considering it, but I digress. Our uh, good friend uh, Tim Haig has uh, released, written, and is uh, publishing a book called Perseverance, Tim Haig Sr., uh, who deals with Parkinson's disease. I think he was on the show with Hal Anderson last week on World Parkinson Day uh, on vacation nice. with his wife in New Orleans and still found time to spend some time with us. So congratulations to Tim. That book is released May 8th in Toronto and, of course, May 7th. Uh, nope, nope, May 15th here in uh, Winnipeg. So we will uh, have to endeavor to have Tim on the show. And it got us talking about 
Amazing Race, Race Canada. What an incredible uh, job uh, Tim Haig uh, Jr. and Senior did together. Yeah, it was a lot of fun watching the the two of them, and uh, it was uh, it was a it was a bit of an upset win. I mean, they made it to the final leg, which anybody it's anybody's game, but they weren't quite the favorite. But boy, was I excited when I saw them cross that coming to the finish line. I was cheering at my arms up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Winnipeg. Okay. So, you, well, you've, you've been to the, the hockey match now, so you, you know what it feels like. Hey, uh, usually Canadians have their, uh, you know, we have each other's back yep. in this Trans Mountain Pipeline squabble between Alberta and Saskatchewan. Mm. Well, Saskatchewan definitely has Alberta's back. Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe says his government will go ahead with punitive legislation that could limit the flow of oil to B.C. Here's Global National's Eric Sorensen. At this Alberta machine shop, they help build oil pipelines. Understandably, they're behind their government's threat to legislate a cut to BC's oil supply for trying to block pipeline expansion. I can't see oil and industry, the oil industry just being cut off because we still need it. Today, the BC Attorney General called Alberta's proposed legislation unconstitutional. Clearly the legislation is a bluff. Uh, they don't intend to use it. Uh, if they did try to use it, uh, we would be in court immediately seeking an injunction to stop them from using it. But more governments are digging in. Saskatchewan is moving its own legislation to support Alberta, vowing not to make up for any oil shortfall to B.C. We would quickly follow with legislation that would ensure that it won't be Saskatchewan uh, filling up the fuel tanks that, uh, that Alberta intends to empty. The provincial divide is now cleaving national politics. The uncertainty over Trans Mountain is costing us $40 million a day. The Conservatives are with Alberta, saying the Liberals aren't doing enough to get the pipeline built. The NDP is backing B.C. and Indigenous groups. How can this government continue to ignore both their own election promises and the real concerns of British Columbians? The Liberals insist they have the legal authority to proceed. This project is good for Canada and it will be built. We now have 10 different climate policy systems rep representing 10, 10 different provincial viewpoints across. This analyst says the problem stems from a decade of federal inaction and the legitimate debate over climate change versus economic costs has become a jurisdictional dispute. We need to fairly rapidly resolve our First, our first Nations questions, our economic development questions, our climate policy questions. And the provincial divide could deepen. BC's Green Party leader told Global's The West Block he wants to draw Quebec into the constitutional fray. I look forward to working with my friends in the province of Quebec to actually uh, bring them on our side. It's been years since Canada engaged in a heated debate over constitutional powers, but those powers may be tested over this pipeline. Eric Sorensen, Global News. Saskatchewan standing in solidarity with Alberta in the battle to run that pipeline to the west coast of Canada through British Columbia. Winnipeg's mayor is hoping to see the city spend more of its money. In our city, Mayor Bowman introduced a buy-local procru procurement procedure. There's lots of P's there for city contracts valued at less than $100,000 uh, yesterday, making headway on a promise from last month's State of the City address. He noted the city is already a key buyer of local products. Almost half of the city's 21,000 suppliers are located within Manitoba, and the city of Winnipeg made $600 million worth of local purchases in 2016. So today we're having coffee, talking, buying local. Do you make an effort to shop locally? And, uh, Shanalee, yesterday you mentioned, uh, or recently you talked about Etsy, 
markets, but that's uh, that's something that's online. But uh, do you find any of your local crafting or you make your clothes and stuff? Is any of that done here in Winnipeg? Well, I I get actually get most of my supplies right, pretty much all of my supplies here, um, and that I make my own. I make, uh, that I try to make my own stuff. Hey, because... you made a really a cute donut uh, <laughs> skirt. I, I, recently. I did. I did make a cute donut skirt. So so I try and the, and also too right like more more and more as I, I get older. Um, I'm I am doing less online shopping, a lot less of that. I very, very rarely now for me to, to do that. I'd rather, it doesn't, I don't care if I have to, if I pay a little bit more, if like, what is, what am I going to save? Like two bucks, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's much better to get it locally because you're dealing with experts, people who actually know what, know, know what they're talking about and you can talk to them in person and and sometimes it's not the same thing when you're going off and getting something online and you can't really see it and doesn't have a good description. But here you can go in, you can go to an expert, you can talk to to, to it, and you can touch things, and you can and you can feel things, and you can figure out if it's right for you. So uh, I, th- I think buying local is the way to go. Jeff Braun asked an interesting question, and I think it bears discussing. Is going into a brick and mortar like Best Buy, which is, you know, across the street here uh, at Polo Park and going in and buying in person there, does that qualify as as shopping local? Yeah, I asked the question. Don't look at me for the answers. (laughs) 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 My argument would be, why why doesn't it? They pay local taxes. They employ local people. A lot of that money stakes around here, right? Well, I guess in terms of the the hierarchy, right, Cal? Like uh, versus, say, someone like Advance, that would be about as local as you could get on that front. And then maybe right. Best Buy, bricks and mortar, yeah. and then maybe buying online in terms of uh, moving from the epicenter of local. Uh, you can make the argument that 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 going to buy a, a TV or similar across the street is supporting local to a certain extent. Yeah, I, I guess the tiebreaker for me is it all does. As a conglomerate, put back into the community what they take out of it. And I don't want to sound too self-serving here, but uh, uh, the first person I ever worked for sat me down one day, and uh, this was in radio, and said, just remember who butters your bread when you're out shopping. So I have always been a big believer in the people who advertise on the radio station I work for. They are first and foremost on my list, even if it is a few more dollars. Now, if they can't come up with the the quality of the product or, uh, you know, well, yeah, we can get it in for you in about a month or so. Well, you know, sorry. You know, your loyalty only goes so far. Well, there's the line. Yeah, there's a line between, well, I kind of need it now. Right. You know, but if... uh, if it comes down to a tie, then the uh, the local uh, and the advertiser is always going to win in our house. Yeah, I uh, I, I try uh, as far as brick and mortar stuff goes. Um, here's a perfect example: when I used to to vape, when I was still vaping, when I was still using the e-cigarettes. A lot of guys get all their stuff online, but there are a lot of shops that have popped up here in Winnipeg. So I would always try to go support these young upstart businesses. Uh, and also another example of uh, local vendors: we have the, our friends from Third and Bird the pop-up markets 
I don't know if you remember the Christmas market, which happens in the bay, the basement of the Hudson's Bay downtown. There was a lineup out the door to get in to buy from and support uh, dozens and dozens of all local vendors. There is a huge uh, momentum to support local vendors. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm wearing my Winnipeg Thunder hat right now, which is made <laughs> by a local company. They're now defunct called Oak and Ore. They had some copyright issues, uh, some trademark issues, so they're going to be coming up with something new. But I wear this uh, proudly because it's made... In Winnipeg. Well, and there's the the peg, right, that they have their local brand uh, that's uh, representing our city. So I, I think if you can connect the dots, it's a, it's a win-win. Jerry? Yeah, uh, just uh, about a month ago, I had an email from a listener who said to me, hey, I want to get hold of this uh, Superman comic that's coming out uh, on the 18th. Uh, should I just order it on Amazon or is there a shop I should go to in town? And I said to him, I said, look, if, if you have the opportunity, go to your local comic shop, yeah. keep that guy in business because they need the business. Like the, the, These guys work on very s- slim margins. So if you've got the opportunity to buy something from a local comic book shop, you go ahead and you do that. And that's what I did uh, yesterday. I called up uh, Mighty Comics and I said, hey, I want a copy of this. Uh, hold one for me. Yeah, Mighty Comics, uh, they're uh, just down the street, actually, from where I live on Corden Avenue. It's a neat little shop. Uh, we, we also just uh, we recently presented at the Winnipeg Nightlife Awards, Greg, uh, at the Met a couple of weeks back, and mm-hmm. that was a celebration of all things Winnipeg. And uh, one of the event organizers, Elena from Black Caviar, very proudly pointed out, hey, this is a celebration of all things local. So I'm all in on the buying local, and I'm trying to find ways. Sometimes it's a bit prohibitive. Like, you, you go to the grocery store, you go to food fair and you see there are locally made cereals that cost like 10 bucks for a box or something so sometimes it's harder to to make to do that support but where i can where i find uh where i'm very happy to to offer my dollars is for uh the local uh craft beer market (laughs) gee i wondered when that was gonna come up Well, there are so many good ones, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think uh, it's, a, first of all, a testament to your loyalty, but also a testament to the entrepreneurial spirit that's that's really taking hold in Winnipeg and Manitoba. And it's not just a matter of doing it. There is this sense, Jeff, of actually putting a Made in Manitoba label on it. I mean, even Crown Royal for so long was very secretive to a certain extent about where they made Crown Royal. Even Crown Royal now is kind of saying proudly made in Gimli, Manitoba, they didn't really pronounce that loudly in any way, shape, or form. If you looked at the bottle and you read at the back and you got your magnifying glass out, you could find (laughs) out. But now it's sort of part of the legacy. And I I think if we're seeing that from one of the most famous brands coming out of Canada, that they're getting in on this Manitoba thing, I think we should be getting in on it too. That and the Pizza Pops, remember? Oh, of course. Yeah. (laughs) It's even more important. Well, Pizza Pops were made in Gimli as well? No, here in Winnipeg. Oh, there you go. That's right. Invented by a Winnipegger. Pillsbury, I think, bought them out, but they they made them here in Winnipeg. Yeah, the the big challenge for any kind of a local entrepreneur, though, is to make sure that you have your product ready to go for when the, the buying public wants it. Because we live in an instant gratification world now, and if you don't have that product ready, well, then it's too easy to get it somewhere else. So there's, you know, there's the responsibility with the entrepreneur. And and if you don't have that exact product, then to come up with something that's, that's close enough, that's acceptable. Kelly Moore, Shanley Vidal, Jeff Braun, Behind the Glass Jerry, having coffee, talking about buying local. You can send us your feedback at 204-780-6868.
Just listen to the Superman song Jerry's pick. What's this one? That saved me by Remy Zero. It's the theme song to Smallville. Oh, of course! It sounds exactly like you too. It did sound kind of you too-ish. Yeah, I thought I thought I know this from something. What is the context? Greg, we're getting some feedback on our chat that we just had about buying local. Yeah, you younglings, I like this. You younglings are starting to see the light. If you shop brick and mortar, you do uh, get it, and you know where you're getting it from. And then someone else texted in something I'd never heard of. This is fascinating. It's called The Local Frequency, thelocalfrequency.com. There's an app that you can get, and there are over 120 Manitoba businesses that have signed up for this app, and you can actually get cash back for supporting these local businesses. How brilliant is that? So we're going to dig into that throughout the day today and see if we can talk to someone. Uh, Maybe you know, maybe you are the entrepreneur who started this or or a group of entrepreneurs. Thelocalfrequency.com. Check it out. We are going to endeavor to uh, teach you more about that as we make our way through the day. Yeah, I mean, and just thinking back to my the shattering glass piece that I did, I focused on three local businesses, Generate Cakes, Sweet Sea Bakery, and Oh Donuts. Sweet Sea, by the way, getting ready to open a second location. Come on. Yeah, on our Instagram feed, and I'm still trying to figure it out. I, I guess I could just ask her. Yes, you <laughs> but probably it looks, could. It looks like it's in Kildonan Place Mall. Okay. Uh, because that would make sense because Sweet Sea is on Kildare, uh, sort of near the edge of Transcona. Corey so. has an endless tank of energy, it seems. Yeah, she is a firecracker. She's a pocket full of firecrackers, you see? <laughs> That's Corey Poo. The entrepreneur, Sweet Sea Bakery. Uh, looking forward to that. So uh, we'll let you know where her new where her new location is. As soon as we know, you'll know. And uh, Brett, um, as we talk about local, we also talk about sustainable development and growing the economy. Mm-hmm. And clusters of expertise are becoming one of the key ingredients in creating sustainable economic development. Uh, You can think of larger geographical areas like Silicon Valley in California. There's the Research Triangle in North Carolina, the hub of tech in Canada, which uh, was sort of created and spearheaded by the creation of Research in Motion. Uh, Kitchener-Waterloo has become a real hotbed. And in Winnipeg, there's a two-block section of Adelaide Street in the Exchange District that has been dubbed Innovation Alley. Perhaps you have ordered a meal from Skip the Dishes, which honed its skills in what's known as a business accelerator in that area. Yesterday on the news, Julie Buckingham and Richard Cloutier shared with us exciting news for another geographic area that has been created for a specific use, taking advantage of its proximity to James Richardson International Airport and what is it called, Greg? It's called Centreport Canada, CEO Diane Gray, with the refresher on what Centreport is. Centreport Canada is a 20,000 acre inland port project that we're building right here in Winnipeg, Manitoba. It's anchored by the airport and it essentially includes lands that are bordered by Brookside Boulevard or Route 90 to the east, the Perimeter Highway to the west and to the north, and Saskatchewan Avenue to the south. And ultimately, it is about providing industrial space connected to multimodal transportation so that businesses can take advantage of efficient transportation routes to move their goods to market. 
The National Research Council will be at the centre of an almost 90-acre mode, or node rather, of development within Centreport Canada. The NRC has announced a $60 million advanced manufacturing centre to be located at Centreport. It recently conditionally purchased about 10% of that node, which immediately saw another 20% of that land gobbled up. Stephen Sherlock is Associate Vice President of Cushman Wakefield with more details. So the whole project is uh, 88.9 acres and uh, yeah, as you mentioned about uh, 9.8 acres is conditionally sold to the National Research Council and uh, we just, uh, that was kind of uh, call it pre-market. Uh, we've been marketing, yeah, for about two weeks. Uh, two weeks ago is when the development agreement was signed, so we could uh, uh, look at other outside offers. And within that two weeks, about another 18 and a half acres are now conditionally sold. So uh, very happy to have a lot of good traction on this development. Diane Gray, what will the National Research Council be doing there? And bigger picture here, what does it mean for uh, all those other businesses that want to co-locate there? Um, well, I, as we understand it, their building, their project is an advanced manufacturing centre, which is to provide R&D-related space um, to connect into the manufacturing industry and to help the industry continue to transform itself using uh, the newest technologies such as artificial intelligence, robotics and others. So um, it's obviously an important facility given how critical uh, manufacturing is to the Manitoba economy. So we're delighted that that particular project is coming to Manitoba. Um, I know that uh, it's been in the works for a while. So the fact that they have actually chosen a location for it and there's an ability to co-locate other companies in the same proximity is exciting for us. Um, we're, we're also really pleased with the project that Stephen um, from Cushman and Wakefield and Crystal Developers have brought to market. It is actually the first fully serviced new land within Centreport, so it has, it's, it's essentially shovel-ready. And you can see what the market demand is for that land. Within two weeks, that, that uh, particular project, that industrial park, is over 30% um, spoken for. And it's the highest valued land. It's the land that's all uh, located along Centreport Canada Way. What other development could this create at Centreport Canada? It's more industrial land. It's zoned I-2, uh, is the RM zoning on it. It's very similar to the M-2 uh, within the city of Winnipeg. So uh, kind of a general manufacturing, distribution, warehousing, logistics, uh, those kind of businesses on this land in particular. Uh, but of course, within the surrounding area, that may spurt some other uh, uh, other developments development, yeah, to support these businesses, the same kind of uh, things we were just talking about. Very exciting times for Centreport Canada. Waiting for Superman to pick in his Wait times for Winnipeg emergency departments are down, according to the latest data from the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority. Global News reporter Diana Foxall is here to break down the latest update. Preliminarily, 2017-2018 saw a 16% improvement in median wait times across all Winnipeg hospitals since consolidation efforts began six months ago. The WRHA's Chief Health Operations Officer of Acute Care, Krista Williams, says she's optimistic. We have made some really good progress. This last year, 16% improvement despite all the challenges is good progress, and we believe that we're going to be better than that. We're going to make more progress, and we're going to continue to work hard to improving the wait time. 
In Winnipeg, that median wait time dropped from 1.93 hours last year to 1.62 hours this year, that 2017-2018 season. And March did see longer waits for hospitals throughout the region. The median wait, the median wait time was just over two hours versus February's 1.88 hours. The WRHA says that is due to a bad flu season and an increase in ambulances bringing in more patients. This just reinforces the need to ensure that subacute capacity is there and we are taking all of the information that we are learning in the last few months and incorporating that into our deliberate and careful planning of consolidation phase two. Concordia and Seven Oaks hospitals are both set to receive additional subacute units as part of phase two in the WRHA's Healing Our Health System changes. Global News reporter Diana Foxall, thank you very much. And on the subject of healthcare, we learned something really interesting about uh, Grace Hospital yesterday when we were hosting the uh, 2018 Grace Gala at the Victoria Inn. How large did they say the current emergency department is at Grace Hospital? 7,000 square feet. They are going to be opening at the end of May their brand new emergency department. It will be 38,000 square feet. Spectacular. I cannot even imagine the difference that's going to create. So looking forward to seeing that. I don't want to see it as a patient or there with any of my family members, but I would like to see it as a member of the media and someone who's interested in uh, seeing healthcare get better in our province. (laughs) I had no idea there were this many Superman songs. Cherry did. One of the biggest Superman fans in Winnipeg, Behind the Glass, Jerry. Keeping us up to date on all the latest Superman songs uh, from uh, from yesterday, today, and, well, a long time ago, I Who's suppose. This? That's the Kinks. Oh, oh my God, love the, the Kinks. Kinks. I think I remember that song. Uh, which album is that from? Do you know? Is that at your fingertips? I want to know. Uh. I need to know. Look it up. I will. You'll tell us later on. Uh, A little bit of cloud coming in, but it's going to be a a gorgeous day, double-digit high. I'm Macklin McGarry with you. Hey, Brett, uh, what did your mom and dad teach you about saving money? Well, the the conversation sort of went like like this. Hey, Brett, uh, don't spend all your money. Don't waste all your money. And I said, okay. And then over the years, I proceeded to spend all my money and waste all my money. Today is Talk to Your Kids About Money Day, but how do you get that conversation started, and at what age should you be doing so? Uh, So we are joined by Erica Alini, who is a national online journalist for Global News, specializing in money and consumer issues. Erica, good morning to you. Good morning. So what do you do... If you're a parent and you have a stubborn and stupid child like me who uh, refuses to listen to the advice, uh, the sage advice that you're trying to give me. Um, so can I just first say I'm so jealous of you guys in Winnipeg for the weather. Oh, oh yeah, go ahead. You can tell us all as much of that as you'd like. What are, what are you dealing with right now? We're in Toronto and it's miserable. Give us give us some numbers. We like statistics. <laughs> how how miserable is it? It, it was. Uh, it was well, there were some flurries and uh, it's uh, it's cloudy uh, and it's around two degrees right now. Okay, well it's two degrees uh, in Winnipeg right now, uh, but uh, we're going up to twelve degrees. We're going up to twelve degrees today. 
we're staying around too. <laughs> stay, yeah, you can stay around too. Why don't you come to Winnipeg for the weekend? Saturday, seventeen. <laughs> Sunday, eighteen. Brett might be golfing. Anyway, we're digressing here, Erica. We just love to hear when uh, the rest of the country is jealous of Winnipeg's weather. So I think Brett asks a great question. How do you, you know, maybe you have already given your children advice, but they're not following it. Is there a way to get them back on track? Yeah, so what I would say is, so there isn't, in my mind, such a thing as, like, the big money talk. It's just something that uh, you have to um, incorporate in the conversation with your kids sort of every day, every week. Um, And the way I think about it is, um, you know, think about everything you need to teach uh, your kids about money. So I'm thinking... Um, there's making money, there's spending money, saving, borrowing, and then often forgotten investing and um, planning for your money. So long-term financial planning. How old? All of that. Sorry, I was just yeah, going to ask you, so there's a, we're experiencing a bit of a delay between the two uh, phone lines, so that's why there are some gaps and we're sort of talking over each other. So sorry about that, Erica. Uh, but what I was going to ask is how... Yeah, old or I guess young should your children be when you start talking to them about cash? Um, I think you can start quite young. Uh, I mean, I'm thinking, so for example, in terms of, uh, I, I'm, you know, I have a two and a half year old and I'm already, uh, you know, telling him, you know, we don't, you know, squish the banana into the carpet because bananas cost money. And I'm not sure how much of that is actually getting through, but I've, you know, I've started already uh, the conversation. Um, and so something in terms of spending, for example, so start to, I, I would start giving them an allowance quite early. Um, the Credit Counseling Society, so as soon as, you know, as soon as they can, count and you walk, you know, you can walk them to the store and, you know, maybe they have a couple of dollars and they start to learn, you know, you give money, you get something back. Um, The Credit Counseling Society, which is a great uh, resource um, for uh, anything to do with money, um, suggests that uh, you uh, give kids an allowance of between 50 cents uh, and uh, $1 per year of age. Um, and, and also you can start quite soon, uh, the conversations instead of saying when they say, mama, why don't we, or dada, why don't we buy this or that? Instead of just saying, no, that's, that's expensive or we don't have money, um, for that, uh, work them through the trade-off. So, you know, if we buy this, then we cannot buy that. You know, if we bought a Porsche, then we wouldn't be able to go on vacation for 10 years. Right. <laughs> you know, um, they need to, you know, it, it, too expensive doesn't really mean anything uh, to a child other than, you know, my parents don't want to buy that. Um, what you need to, um, they need to understand what too expensive means. It yep. means if I want that, then I have to give up a series of other things. Erica, so I think, I, I, I think you bring up a great point. I had a conversation with my boys this past weekend. They're, they're on me to buy a new camper trailer. And I said, you know what? It's $20,000. And I said to them, we could rent our friend's cottage every week or every summer for a week for 20 years with that amount of money. And I could see the light bulb go on for them. Well, why wouldn't we just do that instead? 
And so, you know, it, giving them those analogies, giving them those comparisons, I think are a great way to go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's exactly. That's perfect. Because also, if, even if you tell them $20,000, they don't know what that means. And you have to, you have to break it down for them. Um, so another thing, so um, saving. So give them an allowance uh, and encourage them to save some of that towards a bigger goal. Uh, you can initially you can have them put uh, some of their money into a piggy bank, and then I would um, open an account, uh, a bank account, sooner rather than later, so that they um, are familiar with having a savings account. Um, and I would also, once they're a little bit older uh, and, and and they can uh, grasp the concept of uh, credit, uh, let them borrow. Mm. It's another great advice from the Credit Counseling Society. Uh, so say, you know, you want a big purchase, so you can borrow some money, but then you have to repay it gradually to me every week or every month uh, and, and make sure that you keep that timetable so that they, you know, uh, they learn that process. Um, and in, in, in terms of credit cards, that's like a tricky one for a lot of parents. So um, I spoke to uh, a few experts, and the general advice was to give them a credit card with a small uh, credit limit. Uh, you know, when they're 17, 18, they start going off to college, and there's a very good chance that they'll just, like, blow through the limit very quickly. But it's, it's, best, it's better to let them uh, make a small mistake uh, when they're young and learn rather than, uh, you know, for them to blow through you know, a credit card that has a $10,000 limit uh, later on. Or it could be uh, like me and, and be 40 years old and still making those same mistakes. So don't be like me. <laughs> <laughs> don't uh, be a Brett. You know what, Erica, I think we'll have to have you back because you've got some uh, terrific advice, but we're up against the clock here. We want to thank you for this and uh, appreciate you joining us on this uh, Talk to Your Kids About Money Day. Thanks so much for having me. Enjoy the weather today. Get outside for some lunch. I'm sure it'd be a great time to, to have a hot dog in Toronto out on the street. Thanks, Erica. Thanks. Erica Alini, national online journalist for Global News, specializing in money and consumer issues. On this day, it is Talk to Your Kids About Money Day. down in uh, Minneapolis St. Paul XL Energy Center in St. Paul the Winnipeg Jets 2 nothing victors over the Minnesota Wild Connor Hellebuck is notorious for coming back in games where he plays poorly gave up 6 goals on on Sunday night and uh, in his victories he's given up 2 1 and 0 goals consecutively so looking for a strong performance when we head back to Winnipeg on Friday night for game 5 Loren McNabb is still in St. Paul she joins us now good morning Loren good morning guys how's it going not bad can hear the smile on your face Oh, well, I'm trying not to, but it's, boy, what a great night. It was a lot of fun there in the rink last night. Fans weren't too happy. The Wild fans weren't too happy with Jets fans last night, but those who were there had an excellent time, and, of course, it went our way. So you actually were in the building then yesterday for the game? Yeah, uh, Sunday I went went to both games, but Sunday I was working, and last night um, we had tickets and went to fans, and it was a really great time. Arguably, 
far fewer Jets fans in the crowd last night than there were Sunday because it's a Tuesday game. Um, and then, of course, uh, when we went up one nothing, every time we did cheer, the Wild fans known that they, they did not like that. But, yeah, I went as a fan last night, and I had a really good time. It's a great rink and a good game. Yeah, it's a, there's a genuine difference when you're working and when you attend a game as a fan. And, and Loren, did any of that angst or anger towards Winnipeg fans have to do with that missed call on Josh Morrissey? So many people are talking about a cross check to the head of uh, to uh, Eric Stahl. Is it which Stahl? Did I get the right yeah. Stahl? Eric Stahl. Uh, that uh, Bruce Boudreau blames uh, that missed call on the Wild losing the game altogether. Which, which I'm not sure about that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that that was why. But the crowd was furious over that call. They, as soon as he got hit, they put the replay up over and over again. And then at some points during the game, they would just show it, and the crowd would just get riled up all over again. Like it felt like it felt like they were using it almost as a kind of swing the momentum, you know, and and back in their favor. But it, uh, that hit really had people. Um, really upset and it's interesting because you know how it can be when you're at a game you might not see all the little things that you do on television and so when it first happened all I just saw was stall on the ice and I wasn't really sure myself what happened and then after that I mean I'll give it to them uh the hit the hit wasn't nice you know um but it really uh really angered a lot of fans last night for sure so when do you have to make your way back then when do you begin your journey home well, we got a couple more uh, hits to do for the television side for the morning show, and then we're going to totally try to make our way back from Winnipeg to Winnipeg, maybe stop at a Target or something, you know. Just, just, what is Target? Uh, what is this Target you speak of? Yes, you know, we once had such a store, Greg, mm. and then we lost it. So uh, my, the guys I'm traveling with, our sports reporter and our camera person, have lists from both their families that we have to hit up. On lists? Target. You know, like a, the fun stuff that you can get in the States that you can't get um, in Canada, like good, good, ser- different kinds of cereals, chocolate bars. They got all sorts of treats they're supposed to grab for their kids. So they we're going to hit the store up on the way back. Hey, can you give me some chocolate frosted flakes? Or uh, as it might say chocolate in the box, frosted cho- flakes. Yeah, or it might say uh, in Spanish, Choco Zucaritas. <laughs> You got it. Taco Zucarita is coming your way. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Loren McNabb. Hey, this has been uh, quite the adventure. Uh, will you be at the game on Friday night or will you be in the madness that is Donald Street and uh, Whiteout Way? I don't. I'm not fortunate enough to have tickets to Friday's game, so I um, hope to get down to that street party. You know, I was at the street party here last night that they party? had a pregame party. Party? Well, it was a pregame gathering. <laughs> It was a gathering. Yeah, absolutely right. It couldn't compare. And they weren't trying to, I guess, because it was a pregame party. It was really just meant to be a tailgate. But, you know, then at 6.30, they, like, shut the music off and said, okay, fans, time to go to the game or go home. And so it, I, Winnipeg does it right. I love what they've been doing, and I hope it keeps going. And I hope fans keep coming Friday night. Are you going to get those fried cheese curds before you shove off? <laughs> I don't think I can do it, guys. That's something about fried and then the, I don't know. I'll give it a shot, but I, does that work for 8 a.m.? Can one have fried cheese curds at 8 a.m.? Oh, what? you never had a matzo stick? No. Oh, boy. <laughs> you got <laughs> some learning to do. Mike, you, you sound very disappointed in me right yeah, now. It's okay. It's okay. You know what they say. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, so that doesn't only have to apply to wine. It can also apply to fried foods, Loren McNabb. 
All right. All, All right. right. If I can find it on the menu at the next stop, I will. All right. You have safe travels, Loren. Give our best to uh, Russ and uh, uh, everyone who's been working so hard to make sure that we connect with you. Uh, go Jets, go, and uh, it'll be a much better drive today than it was on the way down on Saturday. That's for darn sure. Here's hoping. Thanks, guys. All right. Loren McNabb, Global News anchor, joining us live from Minnesota this morning, uh, talking Winnipeg Jets and, and the Minnesota Wild. <laughs> That's five for fighting. Superman. Is that the full name of the song? Is it just Superman? Superman, it's not easy. Superman, it's not easy because today, as you heard in Jeff Braun's newscast, is that it's Superman's 80th birthday. And coming up after 9 o'clock at 9.15, we're going to talk about Action Comics number 1000 with big-time artist Dan Jurgens. Jerry, super excited about this, so we're excited for him. We're even going to make him join in on the interview. But right now, we have to play some other theme music. Gotcha. It's time for psychology in the city. Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman of the Clinic Psychology Manitoba. And Dr. Abdurrahman uh, and his team has a series of tips. It's called Win Love. Follow them on Twitter. There's winlove.ca. Uh, rally your team. Uh, short and sweet three-word uh, proverb, uh, so to speak. And uh, today we're going to talk about how we can learn to love ourselves and in turn love Winnipeg. And uh, Raymond, I don't know, uh, we may be approaching unprecedented love factor for our city oh, right yeah, now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's super exciting. It is exciting. It's great to see you. And uh, I love this that you produced here. You're already an expert on how good it feels to be a Jets fan. We know... You know that cheering on your team, whatever team it is, makes you feel like you belong to something important, to something larger. But did you also know that when you choose to rally around a cause, any cause, including a team, a charity, a school, a neighborhood, a city, that it creates a sense of community, a sense of purpose, a sense of value. And you're here to reinforce all those things and others. So yes, why does that sense of community build when you're rallying around either a common cause or something that gets us excited like the Jets are right now. So the one simple fact that people need to remember in all this is that one of the key preventative factors for major mental health difficulties, one of the key factors in promoting psychological resilience, and that's this concept that you can go through hard times and you can overcome them, is this concept of social support. When you feel supported by people around you, um, you feel like you're not alone, right? And there's that's the key component here. And so when we come together for the Jets, we realize we have a lot more in common with people. We're like, you know, we're all going for the same cause. And that really promotes a sense of togetherness. And that's why it's so healthy. Yeah, I mean, we were at uh, Grace Hospital Gala last night, people of all different ages, demographics, yeah. uh, and Greg ran up on stage when the Jets first scored their first goal. Mm-hmm. He said, I have an important announcement. And he announced that they scored, and uh, there were cheers all through the crowd. And from a crowd that I would not have expected there to be so much enthusiasm for yes. a hockey team, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, this is the time where people who aren't even hockey fans are all getting together. They're everywhere around the city, people are dressed in right. There's the whiteout, there's a large party. People are really coming together for a cause. And that says 
I think it speaks to how much we can come together as a city and promote a cause. We've had Lauren McNabb, Russ Hobson down in the Twin Cities and in St. Paul, uh, Winnipeggers, uh, either former or present, that now live in Minnesota and are are exhibiting their Manitoba, their hometown <laughs> pride, yeah. or people that go down in support of the team. I know uh, that after the Jets came back in 2011, uh, one of the first places I went was back to the Okanagan where I'd lived for years. Mm-hmm. And there were people there that gave me a hard time for my inability to get over the fact that the Jets had left in the mm-hmm. first place. Mm-hmm. And people who said that the NHL was never coming back to Winnipeg. And you know what? It's funny because I would meet these people in the week I was back, you know, in my in my uh, adopted home in, in Vernon and Kelowna that would just come up. And hug me and say, I'm so happy for you. You were the first person I thought of mm. when I heard the announcement. And so uh, y- you can be intrinsically entwined and connected to something like that. And it's yes. about that. It's about the Winnipeg on the front of the jersey. Absolutely. Well, for me, this is something, this is about something bigger than this. It's hard to, it's hard to imagine something bigger than what's happening right now with the Jets. Um but to me, it is about something bigger, and it's about the city, and it's about the people in the city, and it's about a sense of pride that we take in who we are, and it's a sense of belief that we have that we can improve who we are, and we can come together for greater things. And that's what this is about for me. The only uh, There is another example of an instance where I think Winnipeggers come together for a different reason, and uh, that's when there is a major snow event. That's <laughs> or where- the flood. Yeah. Yes. Flooding events, right? Yeah. Everybody comes together and sticks together. Yes. Well, with this tip, I I want people to go check out this tip. I want people to like it. I want them to share it. I want them to actually talk about their experiences when people have come together as a community because what we want people to learn out of this is that it doesn't have to stop here. It doesn't have to stop at the playoffs. It shouldn't just come about when there's a tragedy or when there's something to celebrate. We need to replicate this in our lives. We need to build a social infrastructure in our communities, but also in a city as a whole. So politicians, if you're listening to me, this is what we need to do. And this is not just good for just the social causes of our city, but it's good for our economic growth, right? We need a good, strong social infrastructure that promotes who we are, that takes a pride in who we are as a city. And that's what makes us grow. I don't know if you liked it. I think you may have liked it and retweeted my tweet from Friday night, something I overheard in the Skywalk walking back to my car after the game Friday night, overlooking Donald Street and still thousands of people pouring out of Bell MTS Place and people partying on the street. Someone said, that this is what revitalization looks like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I tweeted that and it's had over 11,000 impressions. And for something that was purely local, I've never had a reaction to a tweet in seven years on Twitter as I did Friday night from that expression that I overheard from someone else. So, uh, you know, that really validates what you're saying. And, and I think it makes it easier for us to imagine bigger and better things, not just as it pertains to hockey, not just as it pertains to being kind to a stranger and having that common bond, but imagining bigger and better things, you know, that whole idea of what can't Winnipeg do next. Yeah, and and I think we can't leave it to chance, and I and I and I don't think it's fair that we just leave it on the shoulders of the Jets. Like I think we all need to take on this this role and this responsibility, and we need to think about how it is that we help move our city forward. Um, there are leaders in the city. I would like them to think about, and there are amazing people in the city who think about this way. But I think they need to be supported by people who've got the money, because ultimately, if we have the money to support the social infrastructure, this is how we grow.
Got this is e- how revitalization happens. Got an email earlier this morning uh, when we opened the show, Raymond, in case uh, you, you probably missed it. But uh, Jerry and I opened the show immediately talking about the fact that it's Superman's birthday. And Greg jumped in and said, hey, guys, you know, the Jets won last night. And we made fun of <laughs> made fun of us for being nerds or whatever. I got an email from a guy named Sleel, who's uh, we, Greg and I like uh, getting emails from him because he's always grumpy. But he says, it's OK. Keep talking comics. Not as many of us care about hockey as you might as you might think. I don't know about that, but he raises a good point. Not yes. everyone cares about hockey or the Winnipeg Jets, but that points to something else you're talking about here on winlove.ca. Go find a team. Yes. Uh, find a group. So if you're not into the Jets, find something. Well, the idea here is that we need to build community, right? That's how we support ourselves through hard times. That's how we promote growth is to find a sense of community. And there's a lot of people out there who feel very alone. We we don't come together to find commonalities. There's a lot of people who on the surface look like they have a lot of friends, They but they go home and they're quite alone. You know, we've talked about men's mental health before. You know, on the surface, we talk about the Jets, everything's okay, we, you know, we cheer, but but at the end of the day, people go home and they're alone because they don't have a sense of community because they can't talk about this, the issues that matter and they don't have a sense of, so to speak, home. You know, I, I expressed also on the weekend how emotionally overwhelming it is to see Winnipeg painted with this brush, not mm-hmm. only in a local media, but nationally. And on NBC Twitter feed, uh, they called Winnipeg, Winnipeg is lit. Yeah. And three seconds of video of Donald Street and my Winnipeg jumping up and down. And it, for me, goes so far beyond the sport. Yes. You know, you've got the the uh, the city place, that beautiful old building basking in the sunlight and the revitalized Met Theater right there and the brand new, you know, relatively speaking, hockey rink and Winnipeg is celebrating something, celebrating being us. And I, I must have watched it 30 times and it probably yeah. brought a tear to my eye every single time. It's just really connecting with me viscerally. It, it's it's really got a lot less to do with hockey, more about our, our community. And I think there are a lot of people feeling that way and talking about the fact, you know, that 45-year-old men are crying <laughs> and letting their emotions out when the Jets win a game or when something like this is happening. Yeah, so the, how do we use this as a springboard? I mean, this is a discussion I think we need to have. It's how do we use this as a springboard? How can it be about more than just hockey? You know, how do we grow as a city based on this idea that we can come together to promote such an important thing that we all believe in? And, it's, and it is more about just hockey. Winlove.ca is the website. That's W-I-N-N love.ca, the psychology of civic Pride. Our guest is Dr. Raymond Abdul Rahman from Clinic Psychology, Manitoba. Alright, and who's that, Jerry? Right said Fred. Right said Fred. My God. I didn't know they had any other songs. <laughs> Just the one? Just the one. No, that's not true. I, I, now, now that I think of it, I believe they did have a follow-up single to I'm Too Sexy. Dr. Raymond Abdul-Rahman from Clinic Psychology Manitoba is here. Psychology and the City. We're talking about winlove.ca. Rally your team, the psychology of civic pride. And we're talking about the Winnipeg Jets and how everyone's jumping on board. The bandwagon, so to speak. And uh, I mentioned before uh, we checked traffic and weather, Raymond. And something about something called FOMO, mm-hmm. which is you do you know what you don't know what that is. But you filled me in. 
Fear of missing out. And I think that in this case, with the Jets now making the playoffs and uh, with many Winnipeggers spilling into the streets for the street party, a lot of people are looking and saying, you know, normally I don't pay attention to this, but I kind of want to pay attention to that. And it is a, a genuine thing people experience, fear of missing out. Yeah, well, well, I think there's two things to keep in mind with that. Um, number one, I think there's this concept of modeling, right? Like if we kind of set a trend, people tend to want to follow. Um, and I think that speaks to setting, like developing a social infrastructure and rallying your team is when we start to when we start to do something, people tend to follow up and do it with us. Um, but the other piece of it also is that sometimes this fear of missing out speaks to this this shyness that we might have that we can't always be entirely honest about what it is that we like. So we can't start our own trends. And so we just join the other ones. Um, but what I would encourage people to do is talk more about the things that they like and start their own trends because you never know really what picks up. When love, for example, I think we're gradually picking up steam, you know, and it's a it's an idea that uh, our team kind of thought, well, you know, it seems kind of nerdy, seems kind of cliche. <laughs> oh, we'll do it anyhow. And, and we've been happy with it. It's got some... Good following, so. Well, I'm not shy about where I grew up, but I'll tell you when I was younger, I was shy Mm. about where I grew up. Mm -hmm. We weren't always proud of being from the West End. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where the poor kids lived. And and that's where kids that didn't have uh, uh, all the best of life. Well, Mm. we look back now, and I know there's a huge collection of my friends who, who have done a lot of the things that we, we aimed to do in our life. Well, guess what? we pronounce very loudly and very proudly where, yeah. where we are from now. And sometimes that retrospect, that different view, we were just looking at the television, an amazing sky view from our TV studios at Portage in Maine. And you see those incredible buildings in the exchange district. Sometimes it's just a matter of just a little bit of a different perspective. You go, wow, that was or is really special. I never saw it that way. Absolutely. That perspective shift changes everything. But I think, But I think when we feel more confident, when we have that perspective shift and we feel more confident to talk about Superman, let's say, you know, if we were going to be a bit nerdy and instead of, if we're not sporty, owning, we want to talk, it. owning it, just and being who we are, that sense of confidence creates a following, right? Confidence is very attractive. So yes, you know, it's good to have this modeling concept that if we create a trend, we move forward, but it's also important for us to realize that we, we don't always have to hold ourselves back for the things that we like. We can talk about the things that we like including Superman and comic books. So let's say somebody's listening to this radio station right now, somebody who is super shy, mm. uh, maybe does, I don't know if they don't have friends or for whatever reason, they just, they have a hard time breaking out of their shell, but they want to, what can, what's an easy first step? To challenge the thoughts that you have, because often the thoughts that you have are not based on reality or a solution, right? And they're often based on this worst case scenario. The truth is, is that, most of our thought, like most of our beliefs of people judging us are thoughts that most other people have. And if you take your first step out and decide to be who you are, you'd be surprised who will follow through with you and support you on that journey. Winlove.ca is the website. Dr. Raymond Abdul Rahman from Clinic Psychology, Manitoba, our guest. Top five guest? Yep. Yep. Yeah, we're not, we can't tell you where. On the top five, but you're on the top five. Thanks, man. (laughs) No particular order. Uh, Thank you very much for visiting us once again. And again, the website, winlove.ca, the psychology of civic pride. Rally your team. It's psychology and the city.
Are we going to hear our crash test dummies before the day is done? Well, we'll have to. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I didn't. I had no idea there were this many Superman songs uh, available. But Jerry knows them all. What it exemplifies is the fact that Superman is an analogy. He's an icon. He's so much in terms of popular culture, right? It's representative. You just have to say that one word and people can visualize. And it's not just his physical being, just what what he does, what he's capable of. Indeed, it is his birthday coming up at 9.15. We are going to speak with writer-artist from D.C., a uh, very prominent artist and writer Dan Jurgens, who was, he's best known as the writer behind The Death of Superman, which was one of the top-selling comics of all time. It was, quite frankly, a pop culture event. It was huge, uh, so that's going to be exciting. We'll have that chat coming up in under 10 minutes. Uh, but he may now be an octo- octogenarian now, but he's still faster than a speeding bullet. With more, here is Kevin Tibbles from NBC News. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. The Man of Steel is turning 80. With his debut Action Comics number one cover back in 1938, Superman was the first real comic book superhero. Would you like me to take a Uh, a look at it? Okay. Today, an original copy could fetch millions. DC Comics archivist Benjamin LeClaire oversees the company's vault, which houses some 80,000 rare comics, including decades' worth of Superman protecting Metropolis, teaming up with the Cape Crusader. This is the first ever cover of Superman and Batman together. Catching bad guys. Oh, and saving Lois Lane from various scrapes. There wouldn't be a comic book industry as we know it in America if not for this breakthrough character. So he didn't just build this house, he built comic books all over the world. Some featuring major heavyweights, like President John F. Kennedy helping Superman out by impersonating Clark Kent. I think he represents truth and justice. Publisher Jim Lee helped create the iconic cover for Action Comics' 1,000th issue out this Wednesday. His secret power really is to elevate those around him. He makes people around him better. Mild-mannered reporter Clark Kent, a.k.a. Superman, has evolved from comics to cartoons, TV, and the big screen. Easy, miss. I've got you. You, You've got me! And that suit, beloved by generations of everyday superheroes. He's battled Lex Luthor and survived kryptonite. And at the ripe old age of 80, Superman hasn't slowed down one bit. Kevin Tibbles, NBC News, Burbank, California. So, Jerry, here's one thing I wanted to run past you behind the glass, Jerry, huge fan of The Last Son of Krypton. And and as you heard in there, there would be no comic book industry without this character. But uh, one of the things that, and I think this is a fairly common criticism, is Superman does everything. He can fly. He's super strong. He has laser beam eyes. He can he blow cold air. He can run fast. He can turn back time, at least in one particular well, film. Well, uh, he can do to everything. Mario Puzo, he could turn back time. <laughs> he can see through things. He's, yes. He does too many things. No, but yeah, but here's the thing. He may do all those things, but what a lot of people don't realize is Superman has one of the greatest vulnerabilities of all time. And I'm not talking about kryptonite. I'm talking about his humanity. And that is what brings Superman back to 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 uh, 
when he first debuted in 1938, he didn't have all those powers. I mean, he couldn't even fly. He could only jump tall buildings, right? That's right. Uh, he couldn't see through things. Kryptonite didn't exist back then either. As you know, he was, but his humanity is what ultimately is usually his downfall. Well, we'll we'll ask artist and writer Dan Jurgens in a moment as we celebrate Superman's birthday with the release of Action Comics number one. Thousand. As a comic book fan, that sounds pretty cool. Just saying that. Issue number 1,000. Such a huge day for the comic book world and fans of Superman as the 1,000th issue of DC's Action Comics comes out. It has been 80 years since the first issue of the series when an iconic character made his first appearance. That makes Action Comics the longest-running superhero comic series in history. For that special 1,000th issue, there are several variant covers, as well as new art and stories by many well-known artists and writers, including Dan Jurgens, who is best known as the writer behind The Death of Superman, one of the top-selling comics of all time. And Mr. Jurgens joins us live now on 680 CJOB. Dan, good morning to you. Thank you very much for joining us today. Good morning. It's good to be here. So the first thing i got to ask is I look at the cover of Action Comics number 1000. The red trunks are back. What prompted the return of the trunks? <laughs> yes, the red trunks are back. And I think um, for those who may not have been aware, I, those have always been uh, a longstanding trademark of Superman. If you think all the way back to his very first appearance in Action Comics number 1 in 1938, he had the red trunks. And in recent years, we haven't seen those in the movie and as far or the movies and as far as the books go, you know, we really haven't had that in the in the comics themselves since about 2011. And because it's Action Comics 1000 and because this is a celebration of 80 years of Superman, we decided to bring that look back, which I'm really happy about because I think it's the best look and I think it's amazingly iconic. Yeah, it looks great, and uh, our our technical producer behind the glass, Jerry, is super excited today. He's a monster fan of Superman, and Jerry, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't invite you into the conversation. I'm sure, sure you're, and hold the fanboy back, Jerry. I'm, but I'm trying. It's, a, it's hard. Ask a question. <laughs> okay, well, one thing I've always wanted to know is, is uh, I've heard that uh, back in the, the 90s, you guys had the story for the wedding of Lois and Clark ready to go, and Warner Brothers said, hey, wait, whoa, 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 hold on. We want you to do this in, uh, to coincide with Lois and Clark getting married on TV. Uh, come up with another story to hold off on that. Is, is that how it actually happened when, with the death of Superman? Pretty much, yeah. That's that's uh, pretty much exactly what happened. That we were going to be doing Superman number seventy-five, and at that time, there was a TV show called uh, Lois and Clark, and they were going to, you know, Lois and Clark at that time were engaged. They were going to be getting married, and we thought it would be in Superman seventy-five. And with the TV series, they wanted to build up to that more down the road, so we decided to push that off. And in the meantime, had to come up with something different for Superman 75. And we had very briefly kicked around the idea of the death of Superman before. Uh, this time we focused in on it a little bit more. We came up with Doomsday as the character who would do it. And at the same time, what we also did, and the reason we did it, is because by taking Superman off the stage, by having a world without Superman, you could really examine in a lot of different ways what he means to us and what he meant to us as creators, what he meant to readers, and what he meant to people at large. And that's why we did it and ended up being this really great, wonderful, 
almost year-long Superman story. Dan, I know we got to let you go in about 60 seconds here, but uh, Jerry made an observation. He said that uh, Superman's greatest weakness is not kryptonite, but it is his humanity. What, did, what would your reaction to that be? I think that's somewhat true, but I also think it is his Superman's greatest strength, that with Superman, because he is one of us, because he is so human, that's how he determines to fight for us and to let you know man represent himself in a lot of ways. But that's why he is so understanding in terms of what humanity is and who we are. All right, Dan Jurgens, we know, we know you got to go. So thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate the access. My pleasure, guys. All right, Dan Jurgens, he is an artist and writer with DC Comics and uh, best known for writing The Death of Superman. And Jerry, did, maybe I misrepresented your observation uh, with by by saying that it's his greatest weakness but uh well by by being his his greatest uh strength it is also his greatest weakness because that's what people use against him yeah you know uh, i just sat back and i felt like you might have felt last week when dave ellett was in the studio right uh, oh, yeah. former winnipeg jet and uh, all sorts of things could have spoken to him for a half an hour five minutes clearly not enough with uh, J- dan jurgens but just for those that don't know can you put into perspective what it was the get, as we might say, in the radio business to have Dan on the show this morning? Put it into perspective who this guy is. Dan Jurgens is one of the guys that uh, all of the new artists look up to. This guy is a Hall of Fame comic artist and writer. This guy is, he's created some of the most iconic characters for DC and for Marvel as well. This, this guy is huge in the comic world. Okay, what so what other characters has he uh, created? Uh, well, he created Doomsday. Okay, yeah. Uh, he he created Booster Gold. Yeah, uh, he had a he had a Booster Gold is a great character because he he's from the future and he came he stole tech from the future, brought it to our our time, and decided I'm going to be a superhero just because he likes the limelight. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So Booster Gold, he was the first character, kind of like that smarmy uh, superhero type. He was the first of that genre of superhero. So he's a narcissist. Absolutely. What's happening in Metropolis, Illinois today? They must be having one heck of a party. Wish you were there? Oh, absolutely. Yes. (laughs) Behind the glass, Jerry, thanks for this. Uh, Appreciate you jumping in. Me being the comic character Luddite that I am, uh, it was just great to sit back and watch you guys indulge there. That that implies a negative connotation. (coughs) What? That that I'm a Luddite? Yeah, you're a Luddite. I am. Well, that's not negative, though. Just because you don't know anything about comics doesn't make you a Luddite. Yeah, I'm a Luddite. Okay. I wish I knew more. <laughs> it's a part of my youth that I wish I'd explored and, and been uh, embraced uh, to a greater extent. Greg's a comic book Luddite, and I'm an uncultured lout. A great combination we are. Superman never made any money. Seeing the world from And sometimes I despair the world will never see another man. Sometimes I despair the world will never see another man like him. 
Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you until 10 o'clock this morning behind the glass, Jerry. And of course, we are celebrating Superman's 80th birthday. We are also celebrating the fact that the Winnipeg Jets are one victory away from advancing to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs Friday night. In case you don't know, 630 is game time. Uh, we will have an update for you, I think, today on the plans for the street party. We're, uh, I think, we're. are we going with the with Whiteout Way? Yeah, that's As our official name, at least on 680 CJOB. Yeah, 680 CJOB Global News, Whiteout Way. Although I would say that uh, the poll that we went with uh, was lacking at least one option, which was the jet stream. Yes, just based on our people. on our unofficial, non scientific mm-hmm. poll, based on the text messages we received, we got more votes for the jet stream than any other. But I, I like Whiteout Way, Whiteout Way as well. Whiteout Way, kind of because uh, it's similar to a street in Transcona, White Way. Well, that's right. Yeah. Uh, White Ave in, in Edmonton. We shouldn't be paying homage to anything in uh, Edmonton. <laughs> uh, th- this is a story that uh, came over the, the wire that we ma- were made aware of on Friday. Over 800,000 contraband cigarettes were seized. A 72-year-old man from Rosser may have to pay up to $50,000 in fines and could face a year in prison. Additionally, due to a previous conviction, the suspect faces a tax penalty of nearly one million dollars. He was also wanted by police on two outstanding arrest warrants. If the smokes had been sold, the province could have lost almost $240,000 in tax revenue. So to talk about this, we have Gary Grant, who is the national spokesperson for the National Coalition Against Contraband Tobacco. He's a 39-year veteran of the Toronto Police. And Mr. Grant, thank you very much for joining us today. Hi, guys. My pleasure. So why do you believe Manitoba needs to make contraband tobacco a priority? Well, by the very uh, nature of the story. You have a 72-year-old guy that thinks that uh, smuggling cigarettes and selling them uh, is a a cool way to make a living. And even after uh, previous convictions, he still thinks it's worth the risk because there's not a lot of chance of getting caught. Uh, I was out in Winnipeg in November talking to some of your legislators and and, and Winnipeg police and uh, some Manitoba uh, enforcement people and uh, the, these criminals, which usually also have either drugs or weapons in their cachet, at least this fellow seemed to only have cigarettes, but they're using, moving a lot of fentanyl now, we've found, and stuff like that. So. It's an organized crime initiative, uh, whether it comes down to the end of this guy just being a, you know, a guy that purchases from organized crime, I don't know. But uh, the, the people in the enforcement branch of, the, of Winnipeg, uh, of Manitoba, realize what a problem it's been. They've done a lot of great work, uh, and the legislatures uh, know it as well. It's not only costing money uh, out of your treasury, which I'm sure you could use the money. It also brings organized crime into your communities. And, uh, you know, and enables people to smoke. The whole idea of anti-smoking initiatives is to stop people from smoking and make our country healthier and not enable smokers to continue smoking by having, you know, letting them have an avenue to cheap uh, black market cigarettes. Uh, clearly, Gary, enough people uh, believe that it's worth the risk to get involved in a enterprise, illegal as it is, uh, to get involved and to garner the benefits of this. Where are these cigarettes made? Most of the cigarettes are manufactured in Ontario and, and, and you know, mostly First Nations land. And then you're, they're smuggled to the various biker gangs and near do wells. The, the RCMP has estimated about 150 gangs 
organized crime gangs in Canada are benefiting from this. And, uh, you know, just like any drug distribution network, it uh, snakes out across the country into the communities. And Ontario is a particularly hot spot. It's the worst in Canada. 30% of cigarettes sold in Ontario are contraband. Uh, it's a huge market there, and that's why they're, they're spreading their market east and west across Canada. Uh, we're constantly after the uh, Ontario government to take more uh, stringent steps to stop the uh, trafficking in contraband tobacco with limited success. They could look across the border to Quebec, who reduced their rate by 50% over the past few years. And we just urge Ontario to uh, look at best practices, and we've urged your legislatures to to lean on Ontario too to stop uh, the proliferation of, of the cigarettes because it's clearly affecting your province. And well, and indeed, uh, had the, the cigarettes, uh, 810,000 illegal cigarettes, had yep. they been sold, it would have been 239,000, almost $240,000 lost in tax revenue. Gary uh, Grant, who is the national spokesperson of the uh, National uh, Contraband Coalition Against Contraband Tobacco, how are these cigarettes, these contraband cigarettes, like what like, form do they come in? Are they come in packages and regular cartons, or are they just sold in bags? Come in baggies, uh, predominantly in baggies. But uh, as the uh, you know, as the, uh, the people that manufacture these things become more sophisticated, they're they're mostly sold in regular cartons now or, or packages. And most people can't tell the difference between uh, the, the, the uh, contraband tobacco packages and the real. Obviously, they should be able to tell by the price. It's just a fraction of the price of the real ones. Uh, which is another concern because uh, the, the federal government is uh, pushing ahead to probably with launching the plain packaging. They think that will reduce smoking. Uh, if people don't know what kind of cigarettes or brand they're smoking, I, I don't quite understand that. But I do know that if they uh, if introduce plain packaging, it'll make things easier for the counterfeiters and the criminals. So, you know, let's take some steps against that as well at the same time. The National Coalition Against Contraband Tobacco. Who makes up this coalition, uh, Gary? There's about 16 groups that are in there. There's uh, the, the uh, well, uh, a couple of the people that are in there. There are people, the Canadian Convenience Store Association, Toronto Crime Stoppers, which I'm the chair, Ottawa Crime Stoppers. People that are, uh, and I will state right out front, the Canadian Tobacco Manufacturers Council. Uh, and uh, people that have a stake in our economy. And people that have a stake in, uh, you know, removing criminals from our streets. One of the things that's really bad about the contraband is that they don't respect any age limits. Uh, they'll sell a 12-year-old a baggie of cigarettes for the cost of a movie ticket, teaching kids it's okay to break the law, and, uh, you know, starting another generation of smokers. So it's a group of, 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 of organizations that are committed to do both, stop the proliferation of uh, crime in the community and uh, help our, our communities financially as well by having the tax dollars go where they should. And even if, you know, even if uh, cigarettes are a bad product, it's a product that many people get hooked on and people die from this. Uh, but it is a legal product in, in Canada, and there are businesses that make money. You mentioned convenience stores are involved in that. Curious to know, what is the, the markup of a pack of cigarettes in Manitoba at an average convenience store? Well, I can't answer that. I, I, I'm not that. Uh, I don't know the prices. I know that in Ontario, it's about $100 for a carton. And uh, it's, you know, 20 or 30 bucks for a carton of contraband uh, or less. So uh, I don't know the Manitoba prices. I apologize.
in Ontario, what would be like a, a markup or a, or a profit margin for a retailer? How much money are they losing out, uh, these retailers? It, it has to be substantial. Well, I think what is happening, yeah, there, it is substantial. Uh, maybe the convenience store association would have a number. Uh, I don't, but I do know that in Ontario it's estimated, and it hasn't been argued by the government, that they lose about a billion dollars a year in taxes, uh, either federal and provincial, a billion dollars. And I'm just thinking what that could do to uh, you know help our infrastructure, our health care, our education. And the fact that, uh, that the convenience store owners, getting back to that, they're hardworking people. They are working on small margins, I think. And when they see criminals selling it with impunity and not even bother complying with the, you know, the regulations dealing with youth, uh, I know in Ontario, stores have closed up because I think convenience stores count on uh, 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 legal products like cigarettes or gas, gasoline, to get people into the store to buy other things. So it, it's not a good situation for them. One more question, Gary, before we let you go. Uh, I mean, we and one of the things I think that one of the benefits that comes from when tobacco taxes are, when they go up, when governments boost them, is that it encourages many people to quit because the the financial uh, cost is it's just too great. But has have governments is it kind of a catch twenty two where there's benefit, but there's also a con where maybe it's been the product's been overtaxed, thus creating this market. Yeah, I you know I have to leave it to the government to decide what they want to tax on things, and the purpose is basically uh, well the, the primary purpose should be. Uh, stopping people from smoking. And I'm asked if quite often, don't I have empathy for people that can't quit smoking and that are hooked on smoking? And I say, sure, I have empathy. But empathy, to a certain point, uh, my empathy stops when they're going to the black market to continue smoking, cheating the other Canadians out of the tax revenue, and when organized crime comes into a community. So I can only have so much empathy, empathy for people that say they can't afford taxes when the idea is to get people to quit smoking. Gary Grant, thank you very much for joining us this morning to comment on this. It's warmer out in Winnipeg, guys, so have a nice day. Yeah, it is. It's beautiful, and it's going to get more beautiful. Thank you very much, Gary Grant, National Spokesperson for uh, the National Coalition Against Contraband Tobacco. 39-year veteran of the Toronto Police Service. Indeed. So he knows a thing or two about organized crime. So when he says he empathizes only to a point uh, that comes from a place of experience, that's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Shanna Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB.